You know, it's, it is nice over on this side, just so that you all know. They are friendly over here. I know Priscilla always sits here and Theron, and you realize that when, you know, you don't sit over there, then they have to come all the way over here to talk to people. But it's good to see people spread out. Um, all right, <clears throat> let's, uh, let's open with a prayer. Father, thank you for this wonderful uh, time we could spend together. Thank you for this morning that we could worship you, Lord, and also just spend some time studying your word. Just bless our time together. In your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. <clears throat> so just as a reminder, the sermons are online, uh, so you can always listen to them if you don't, weren't here um, at one of those websites there. Um, but today we're going to talk about expectations. My, my question is, why are you here? What do you expect from God? Expectations, we all have expectations in life. There's nothing wrong with expectations per se. We all have, uh, <clears throat> we all have come today expecting that we would eat chili, right? And maybe some dessert, right? Because I guess there's a pie thing too. Um, a problem concerns that when we have unmet expectations, I mean, taking, for example, what if we all came here and we found out that nobody brought the chili, even though they signed up for it? Um, not only would they suffer the wrath of Tamsin, I'm sure that um, they would also have some pretty upset and hungry people, because some people may very well have decided to pass on breakfast in anticipation of trying the various things, and I'm sure we would have a few people would be what we would call Hangry, right? The combination of hungry and angry, which my wife will let you know. I'm, I fit that, that, that character. When I get really hungry, I get kind of upset and angry and like, why are we eating? Why, are, why, why, is, there not, why is there not food going in my mouth right now? Um, <clears throat> but I, I, don't worry. I, I looked and I actually asked. So I said, uh, do we have plenty? She goes, actually, we have plenty. People brought uh, more than we expected. And there's plenty of variety, too. So that's good. But take example of that chili again. Uh, what you were promised and what you should expect is that there will be food. Whether it's any good or not, that's a different story. Um, and, you know, not to, you know, granted, you know, I'm sure it's all really good, but that's something that you can't necessarily expect. Because what ha you know, some people could go home today and be disappointed. Go, I didn't really find a chili I liked. And I don't know how you can, because I think there's like 15 out there. And if you can't, find one that you like there. That's, I don't know, unless you're like, don't like chili at all, but you know, I, I think that would be hard. Um, consider a separate one, like vacations. I've heard people talk about vacations, people go and, and we all have great, we go on vacation, we have great expectations about how that vacation goes. But the thing we forget is that, you know, it's also dependent on who you go with and when you go with your family, that always is an open question and how good that vacation will be, right? Uh, I, I listened a lot to uh, Disney vlogs, and I heard, I heard a lot of people that used to work in the park. It's always amazed me on what people will say to the cast members. Uh, there's one guy that used to um, work at the uh, Buzz Lightyear um, one when we'd let people in, and he would talk about it. And they, you know, they had the old fast pass system, and there was a, there's actually was a system where a during periods of time, a certain number of people had to go through the fast pass line before they would have people go through the regular queue, and sometimes it's like 100 to 1. And he would talk about how he'd have people screaming at him, saying these words, 
you are ruining my vacation. And I always think about that. What is, what is, could it, could it really be doing something like that that would be ruining their vacation? And I've heard people say, uh, travel agents say that he, they've had people say things like when they go on vacation, people say, well, if I don't get to do X, then the vacation is ruined. And he used to always, travel agents would say, look, you shouldn't, you shouldn't approach your vacation like that. Because what's going to happen is you're going to end up not getting to do that, and then you're going to not be very disappointed with what a vacation actually may have been fine. But because for some reason you got in your mind that you had to do a certain thing, you expected to do a certain thing, and you were disappointed. Um, but let's look a more specifically at marriage. We have expectations in marriage. Um, we all come into marriage with expectations that it will be wonderful, um, after all, we spent our single life watching every rom-com. Rom uh, so we have a perfect image about what relationship and what love is all about. Um, we dream how great it will be because we're going to be in, in love like everyone else, right? Um, I think of my own marriage. Um, some years back, um, when I was the English pastor at a Chinese church, uh, I, things were going great for me, but it wasn't so going well for my wife. Uh, it was a struggle with really the childcare situation wasn't very conducive to to her. We had the two younger, we had uh, well, they're the two older ones now, Landon and, and Aiden. And so what happened is is that she ended up kind of get stuck just watching them. And she figured, well, I'm just not going to sit here on the side. I'm, you know, she would go to Target, and I'd go, well, you, you know, you're the pastor's wife, you you, you can't go to Target. Um, and uh, I remember the time. Um, <coughs> uh, I saying to someone, and at the risk of having people throw things at me, I said, I don't think my wife is quite the trooper I thought she was uh, or needed to be to be in ministry. Um, well, we eventually transitioned to another thing. By the way, she didn't know I was going to talk about this, and she didn't even know. I don't know if I've ever had this conversation with her. And I know a lot of people, whenever I talk about my wife, everyone kind of stares at her to kind of look at her reaction. <laughs> Um, but I also tell her that, you know, you married a preacher, so there's nothing off the table. Everything is, is fodder for an example in a sermon. Um, but at, we transitioned to something better, which actually resulted from a friend of mine who's a, a therapist, and we had a conversation with him in, in our house, and I remember his exact words to me were, you're not listening to your wife. And I had to go home, and I had to pray about that, and I had to seek the Lord's guidance on what was the right thing to do. And we moved on. We moved to something that was better for our family. I think the, but through this experience, I believe the Holy Spirit taught me a lesson. I, I, learned, I needed to learn to stop seeing how my wife was not meeting some arbitrary standard I had in my head um, and accept her for how God made her. After all, I chose this person, Right? We don't, you know, we live in this society where we have that choice to marry who, who, who we want. And he said, an interesting thing happened is life gets a lot better. Um, I started to see the positive aspects of my wife rather than how she was not measuring up to, to the standard in my head. Now, <clears throat> this is not to meant that we don't challenge each other, particularly even on spiritual matters, but I had an expectation in my head about uh, you know, what my, my future wife should be that was incorrect, and then I needed to let that go. <clears throat> this brings me to today's passage. This is about the triumphal entry of, of uh, Jesus going into Jerusalem. Um, and he comes into great fanfare, singing, praises, palm branches being laid on the ground. 
many, in fact, we sang that song, Hosanna, which is where we get that from today. Um, and he says these people had an expectation of what Jesus would be uh, and <clears throat> really about the person he would become, or at least what they thought he should become, only to be dis- disappointed not long after <clears throat> because they had, did not understand his true purpose. They had a wrong expectation. So let's look at that passage. I'm going to look at the John passage, John 12, uh, 12, 12 through, um, I'm not going all the way to 26 until the end, but through part of it here. The next day, the great crowd that had come uh, for the feast heard that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. They took palm branches and went out to meet him, shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the King of Israel. Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it as it, as it is written, Do not be afraid, O daughter of Zion. See, your king is coming, seated on a donkey's colt. At first his disciples did not understand all this. Only after Jesus was glorified did they realize that these things had been written about him and that they had done these things to him. Now the crowd that was with him when he called Lazarus from the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to spread the word. Many people, because they had heard that he had given this miraculous sign went out to meet him. So the Pharisees said to one another, see, this is getting us nowhere. Let's uh, look how the whole world has gone after him. Now there were some Greeks among those who went up to worship at the feast. They came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, with a request. Sir, they said, we would like to see Jesus. Philip went to tell Andrew, and Andrew and Philip in turn told Jesus. Um, now, this is, I chose the John passage because it does focus a lot on other people's perspectives or other people's expectations, which is the, um, the sermon here. Uh, however, to kind of get it, just so that people really understand what happened for those that have not seen this, I just thought I'd, I'd cover really quickly what the Luke passage says, because this just tells you the whole story. It says this, after Jesus had said this, he went on ahead, going up to Jerusalem. As he approached Bethpage in Bethany at the hill called the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples saying to them, go to the village ahead of you, and as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it? Tell them the Lord needs it. Those who were sent ahead went and found it just as he had told them. As they were untying the colt, the owners asked them, why are you untying the colt? They replied, the Lord needs it. They brought it to Jesus, threw their cloaks on the colt, and put Jesus on it. As he went along, people spread their cloaks on the road. When he had come near the place where the road goes down to the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully praise God in loud voices for all the miracles they had seen. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. All right. So that kind of gives you the picture of what was going on. Um, as, as you know, as the synoptic gospels are really about what happened, and John tends to focus a little bit more uh, in depth on some things, which is why I like it. But let's look at what people were ex- expecting. Let's start with Jesus. What was Jesus expecting? <clears throat> Jesus was expecting to fulfill the prophecy and, to, and for people to see him as the Messiah. <clears throat> we see this passage is actually... Uh, in Zechariah 9.9, we see the fulfillment of this prophecy. This passage uh, describes, described many years before this what would happen, and it, it was always associated 
with describing the Messiah. And it says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, daughter of Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you, righteous and having salvation, gentle and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Jesus' actions also resemble what was common to those who return after conquest. They come back, these victorious uh, soldiers or warriors, you, they would come in on, you know, on a horse or on a, uh, um, a chariot and you know, people would be celebrating and everything. Jesus was a little different though. He didn't come on a big chariot. He didn't come uh, on, a, on, a big, on a horse. He came on a donkey, a bit more humbly. And so it makes me wonder what people were thinking when they saw this, because they did have the fanfare, but it wasn't quite what they were used to seeing. So what, what about that crowd? What did they expect? Or at least what do we understand that they expected? And so we have it here from John. It says, now the crowd that was with him when he called Lazarus from the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to spread the word. Many people, because they had heard that he had given this miraculous sign, went out to meet him. So my picture of this is, is that... <clears throat> You had people that had seen him raise Lazarus from the dead. They were excited. They were like, hey, the, he did this amazing miracle. We should go with him. We should go places. And then they started spreading the word and telling others. So as he was coming in, word got out. Hey, this is the guy. This is the guy. He did the miracle. Let's go over and check it out. And so then, you know, it started with probably the disciples. Because when you read a different passage, you're not sure who's all involved with there, what's going on. But the sense of it started with maybe the people closest with them, but then other people, and then other people started joining in. And so it became this big thing as he walked towards Jerusalem or walked into Jerusalem, singing, you know, singing as they were going along. What they appear to want is a victorious king, though, coming in to reclaim the earthly throne of David, not one who comes in humility on a donkey. One thing is interesting, though, about the word Hosanna, Apparently, this is a cry, uh, this cry that translates salvation now. Um, that's rather ironic, right? Because on the one hand, they're, they're shouting about salvation, uh, yet they did not grasp the type of salvation that Christ was bringing. <clears throat> it was not what they expected. Um, so then you look at the disciples. And so what does John tell us about the disciples? At first, his disciples did not understand all this, which would have also included him too. Only after Jesus was glorified did they realize that these things were written about him and they had done these things <coughs> to him. So they didn't get it. There was a fogginess there. Uh, there was confusion. They could not quite um, comprehend what he was doing and we also see this a little bit later as John writes about this he says do not let your hearts be troubled trust in God trust also in me in my father's house are many rooms if it were not so I would not have told you I'm going there to prepare a place for you and if I go there to prepare a place for you I will come back <coughs> and take you to be with me, that you may also be where I am. Let me catch it up here. You know that the way, you know the way to the place where I'm going. Thomas said to him, "Lord, we don't know where you're going. So how can we know the way?" Jesus answered, "I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really know me, you would know my Father as well." 
from now on, you do know him and have seen him. Philip said, I always like this. He tells him, you've seen him. And then Philip goes, Lord, show us the Father. And that will be enough for us. It's like, he just told you, if you see me, you see him. So, you know, you get the confusion there. Jesus answered, don't you know me, Philip? Even after all have been among you such a long time, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. <clears throat> How can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and that the Father is in me? The words I say to you are not just my own. Rather, it is the Father living in me who is doing this work. Believe, it, believe me when I say that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, and at least believe on the evidence of the miracles themselves. So you see the confusion? You know, you really actually, <clears throat> Jesus feels rather incredulous. You know, don't you know me, Philip? I, I always found that such a shocking statement because <clears throat> he's trying to say, look, you've been with me all this time. What it, what's going on? Why are you so confused? And the fog does, does not clear until Jesus rises from the dead, uh, which begins on the road to, uh, uh, road to Emmaus, where we, he finally reveals to some of the disciples, look, this is, was all prophesied, and their eyes are open to all that he had done and all that he, was, uh, <clears throat> he had been telling them about. Next you have, of course, the Pharisees, um, and it says, So the Pharisees said to one another, See, this is getting us nowhere. Look how the whole world has gone after him. So um, the Pharisees expected that the excitement around Jesus would die down. Um, they didn't, uh, but that didn't happen, and they had to witness Jerusalem being excited about Jesus. Uh, <clears throat> they, they, they are the, then threatened by his popularity, and they hatch a plan to get rid of him. And they, again, expected that would end it all, and again, they were wrong. It didn't end at all. And then the last one are the Greeks. I just like to throw this one in. It was, thought it was kind of a curious statement. Um, now we're, there were some Greeks among them who went up to worship at the feast. Then came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, with the request, Sir, they said, we would like to see Jesus. Philip went to tell Andrew. Andrew and Philip in turn told Jesus. <clears throat> so there were some Greeks, they were curious. They had heard, oh, what's this going all going around? I want to go see what this guy's about. We've heard really interesting things. We'd like to see him. We'd like to check him out. <clears throat> so I guess a, the question comes on one was, what do you expect from God? In this situation, you have people who had expectations about Jesus uh, was, <clears throat> that was wrong. For us, we can have incorrect expectations about God and who God is and who will be in our lives. And what are some of those incorrect expectations? One is that God's the great physician. It always bothers me from that terminology uh, because I don't think that God was in the that God came to be a great physician. There's physicians that um, you know that they decide that they want to help make people better. That Jesus, God's role is very different. He's not like a physician, and, and that's not to degrade people who are physicians. Um, but one is, is that um, God will heal all my ailments. After all, Jesus had healed many people. And we have the, the, the line in the Bible that says, by his stripes we are healed. Also, Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. Why would he not also do the same for me? Well, a couple things to consider. Um, uh, one is, is that um, uh, last I checked, Lazarus is still not hanging out. He's not around anymore, which means that he actually died a second time. All right? 
And so what does that mean? Well, it didn't mean that Jesus, when Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead, it wasn't like a campaign to raise everybody from the dead. He didn't call out to everybody else in that tomb, which there were probably, I believe this was a place where other people were buried too, so he could have raised them from the dead too, but they didn't. He chose Lazarus. He chose it for a purpose, which we talked about, I think Seth talked about, or Jim talked about that a few, uh, a few weeks back about Lazarus. The second thing is, by his stripes we are healed comes from Isaiah 53.5, which actually is, when people quote, if people quote that, that's actually taken out of context. This is the entire passage. But he was pierced for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities, the punishment that brought us peace was upon him, and by his wounds we are healed. Uh, it's really that passage is more about salvation in general, not necessarily about healing, you know, physical healing. The second thing people kind of focus on on this issue is God will take care of my health. Um, this leads people to not do anything medically to take care of them. To me, this is, not, this, is, this is a lot like people not looking both ways when they cross the street because they go, well, God will take care of me. Why do I need to look both ways? I will just cross the street. Um, <clears throat> it also reminds me of Jesus' confrontation with the devil when he was tempted, uh, when the devil took him to um, the highest point. And I have it here for you. It says, uh, the devil led him to Jerusalem and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down from there. For it is written, he will command his angels concerning you and guard you carefully. They will lift you up uh, in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against the stone. Jesus answered, it says, do not put God to the test. Um, the second thing that uh, people may kind of expe expect from God is God as the cosmic banker. God will make me rich. If I have enough faith, if I trust him enough, God will give me things. The trouble with this one is, is that it can, you know, people, you know, obviously people in America live very well, and so it can give people a false sense of security that, well, that's what God's about, and that's not really what God's about. Um, another is God as the secret service. Uh, God will protect me from all harm, even if, he, uh, <clears throat> and even more importantly, he will take and keep my kids safe. Uh, something that came to mind was the idea of the Holocaust. For, uh, for a lot of Jews, with the idea of the Holocaust is that it was so bad that it's, you know, caused them to start to question, you know, you know, we're, we're used to dealing with difficulty, but this is so bad, you start to question God. You know, does God exist, or is, is God, can God really protect us? And there are things in our lives that that may happen, where we have that expectation that says, no, I understood things are going to be bad, but I didn't expect it to be this bad, and fill in the blank. Um, we also sometimes see God as the magician. Uh, we like the magic show. We come expecting God to do something miraculous. However, we do not consider why God does things, because God just doesn't do it for the sake of doing it. He does it for a purpose, <clears throat> um, as a way of to draw people to him. You know, God, God is not here to do the magic show. God cares about our heart. It's always something God is doing to drive us back to him. Um, and then, um, so what kind of, Going it the other way, what is it that we should really be expecting from God? And I have a list of things here as well. Um, <clears throat> one is the abundant life. John uh, 10, 7 through 10 says this, Therefore, Jesus said again, I tell you the truth, I am the gate for the sheep. All who ever come before me were thieves and robbers, 
But the sheep did not listen to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. He will come in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that you may have life and have it to its full. So what is meant by a full or abundant life? Jesus, uh, in this passage, takes the role of protector. Uh, uh, He protects you from those who want to hurt you, which is usually the devil. But it is so much more, though. I like how um, it was described in this commentary on what is really meant by this. He says, Jesus is the agent of wholeness, of eternal life, of secure pasture, of release from the realm of darkness. He is, as the Samaritans confess, the Savior of the world. And here he is the one who provides life to the fullest. The Greek word means that which goes way beyond necessity. John wanted his readers to know that the gift of Jesus is life beyond our wildest dreams. So the second thing that we should expect from God is salvation. Jesus came to bring salvation. Anyone who calls upon the Lord will be saved. Um, Romans 10.10, For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you confess and are saved. It also says, He goes to prepare a place for us. John 14.3, And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. The third thing we should expect from God is that He will supply our needs. Philippians 4.19 says the following, And my God will meet all your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. Note that he uh, says he will supply all our needs, not our wants, which sometimes gets, we can be confused by. Um, We will also, he will also neither uh, leave nor forsake us. Um, It says in Hebrews 13, 5, keep your lives free from the love of money. Be content with what you have because God has uh, said, never will I leave nor never will I forsake you. Um, a fifth thing is he will, not keep, he will not keep us from temporary harm. I know that's a little bit of a tongue twister. Um, <clears throat> we, are, we are actually called to rejoice. Life can be hard, and I don't think God has promised that he will keep us from all harm. I think he will keep us from eternal harm, but not temporary harm, and life can be hard. Um, uh, in fact, we are, we are called to rejoice in suffering. Romans 5, 3 through 5 says this, Not only so, but we also rejoice in our sufferings, because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character, hope, and hope does not disappoint us, because God has poured out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit, whom he has given us. He wants to save us from eternal harm. Like this interesting thing, I, I, with a lot of clients, I, you know, I deal with people dealing with difficult situations or things don't always go so well. And I deal with a lot of believers. And so I always, we would talk about, you know, well, we can always pray that the Lord will make things better or speed things along or, or help us go. And it's funny, recently I've started to say things like, you know, but I do find that God doesn't always really want to make it be- easy on us that he wants us to have to work through the difficult things because it's through the difficult things that we grow in him, we grow closer to God by actually having to work through the difficult things in life. And you have it there, and that's what, what, what Paul was talking about because we know suffering produces perseverance, character, hope. 
And it's through those difficult things that we are given those. Because if God just made everything go away, I don't think we would ever grow in the Lord. We would never become the person God wants us to be. And the, the last thing I wanted to mention is God desires us. Um, we have Romans um, uh, 12, 1 through 2. Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. So, kind of as I'm concluding things, I have a question is, is that, what are you expecting from God? Um, as we are finishing uh, today, consider what Jesus was coming to do when traveling to Jerusalem. And it's the, it's the rest of that passage in John 12. It says, Jesus replied, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. I tell you the truth, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. The man who loves his life will lose it, while the man who hates his life um, in this world will keep it for eternal life. Whoever serves me must follow me, and where I am, my servant also will be. My Father will honor the, uh, the one who serves me. Um, just one last kind of illustration or story, well, actually it's, it's a true story, um, kind of as I kind of wrap things up here, is that something happened I, this week, and Ron and I were talking a little bit before the service, and it occurred to me it's, it, it's, it's relevant for what we're talking about. Um, for those that, uh, many people know that Landon um, is attending the University of Maryland in College Park, is a, is a student there, it's his first um, semester, and he called us this week and just said that, um, that a student had committed suicide this week. Um, they had jumped off the, uh, he, what he told us, he jumped off the stadium and landed on the ground. Landed on the ground outside where my son's dorm is. And he didn't see it. Um, I think he was uh, away at lunch. And so it, a lot, a lot of, it's, very, it's very emotional because um, I, not only him, a lot of his friends, a lot of friends of ours who have students there, and I was, we were all reaching out to our friends to make sure their kids were doing okay because it's just a very... Uh, very traumatizing, obviously very difficult situation that someone felt like that was their only option in life. Um, and I'm not sure what was going on in their life. Um, that caused them to think that this was the only option. Uh, my heart goes out to them, really goes out to the family, because, you know, that's the thing as a parent now. You start thinking as a parent, you know, what if this had happened to my child? But talking to Ron, he was kind of kind of thinking back and reflecting about life when, it was, when he was that age. And I was thinking about it, too, is that all the uncertainty in life and all the difficulty that goes on when you're that age and how life, you have all great expectations in life and you expect things to be a certain way. We all reach the point in life where things do not go well or, at, or as we expect them to go. But I want to remind everyone that we have a Savior who knows what it, it is to suffer and die. <clears throat> and he died that you may have life and have it to its full. And now, how can we have this life? And I'm going to finish with this, and then you guys can sing. Um, I just want to kind of cover really quick, what does salvation mean? Um, one is that we all have sinned. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Second, Christ died for our salvation. 
Romans 5.8. But God demonstrates his love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. The third thing, salvation is a free gift. Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Um, for we are saved by grace, Romans 11.6. And if by grace, then it is no longer by works. If it were, grace would no longer be grace. Five, salvation comes through faith, Romans 4.5. To the man who does not uh, work but trusts God, who justifies the wicked, his faith is credited as righteousness and Six, God saves all who call upon his name, Romans 10, 13. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Thank you.